you guys hear about the five ants that rented an apartment from five other ants? Yeah, now they're tenants. Yeah, yeah, I heard someone clapping. One person. What did the pirate say when he turned 80 years old? I'm 80. <laughs> Those were both, one was from my daughter this week and another from a congregant here at the church, so thank you for your submissions. All right. Lots of people, people have been sending me jokes a lot, so, um, but we need them. Okay. Grab your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be focusing in verses 7 through 12 today. Um, it, we are not going to cover the whole text of 7 through 12 because there's a lot there and um, we're not going to go all day. But uh, we're continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation. Um, again, next week will be the final message in this series. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but when Jesus gave a revelation to the church of Pergamum, he said this, the one who is victorious, I will give some hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So I got this idea that a few weeks ago that I want to give out white stones and I want you to take it home and I want you to pray about, Lord, what, is, what are you saying over me? What is the identity that you have for me? And so I'm going to ask you to, to, one, find a scripture and you can write the scripture reference on one side and then maybe on the other side, write, you know, uh, what the Lord's revealing to you. So I just felt like we need to do that. And so come back next week. We're going to give everyone a white stone and then you're going to get a message from the Lord. Amen. All right. If you missed any messages in this series, um, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, but go ahead and put up that uh, slide. Seven churches of Revelation. The, uh, John the Apostle. He was exiled to the island of Patmos by Emperor Domitian in 95 AD um, for his witness for Christ. On that island, 95 AD, John receives a revelation from the Lord Jesus himself. And Jesus says, write to these seven churches of Asia Minor, so that's modern-day Turkey, and, and, and Jesus addresses them in a, uh, count, uh, a clockwise direction. Um, he has a message for each one of those churches. Now, we know, of course, that those messages were not just for those churches, but for all the churches in the region and all churches throughout history. Okay, so these messages are for us. It should be noted that Jesus, um, he uses a, a pattern of exhortation that he gives to all the churches. It should be noted that this pattern of exhortation is because he loves each church profusely. And he wants us to experience the great, greatest amount of spiritual satisfaction in our lives and he wants that to echo into eternity. So this is why he wrote these letters. Here's the pattern of exhortation that the Lord gave. This is Jesus' message to Philadelphia. He has a, for the churches, a combination, correction, counsel, and a crown. Okay, combination. He's, Jesus acknowledges and praises their strengths. Typically, Jesus offers, uh, uh, confronts their weaknesses. This is a correction. For the church of Philadelphia and the church of Smyrna, there was no correction given by the Lord Jesus. It's probably worth noting that both of these churches were persecuted churches. It mentions their persecution. Smyrna probably being the most persecuted church of all the seven. Um, 
and then um, uh, Philadelphia, also a persecuted church. So there's no correction for them, um, I guess, because, well, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Ask Jesus. Okay. And then write it down and tell me. Okay. Then Jesus, of course, offers them guidance and then encourages them with a promised reward. Um, now, before we get into the Church of Philadelphia, I want to show you one of the idols um, of Philadelphia, these, these false gods. One of the idols of Philadelphia that people from all over the world um, would come pay tribute to. So go ahead and put up that uh, false idol. All right. So this is Philadelphia. Some of you are getting this right now. Okay, that's Philadelphia in the United States, not in Asia Minor. And that's Rocky Balboa up there. So how many have seen the Rocky series? If you haven't, some of you young folk, uh, listen, our daughter needs to see it. If you have missed the Rocky series, you need to go see the Rocky series. Now, I don't worship any of the idols of, of the ancient world, but I am most fond of Rocky Balboa. Okay. As many of you know, Philadelphia means brotherly love. The, the, the new Philadelphia in the United States means brotherly love. The old Philadelphia in Asia Minor means brotherly love. The, the word uh, Philadelphia comes from two words. Um, the word Philadelphos comes from the word phileos, uh, which is a friendly love, and uh, delphos, which means a brother, literally or figuratively. In the Greek language, the Greek language is a beautiful, articulate, um, intricate language. You know, in the in English language, if we, we use the word love for everything that we like, whether that be family member um, or, or I like pizza. Oh, I love pizza. I love my wife. You know, we kind of use these terms uh, on the same level. Well, how many know that the, the Greek language, I think there's five to maybe even seven unique words for love to describe a different type of love. Um, for example, uh, eros is a romantic, passionate love. Storge is a, a family love. Agape is the unconditional God kind of love. And so um, God chose the Greek language for the New Testament to be written in because from that original Greek articulate detailed language, you would be able to translate into many different language and retain the full meaning of the original translation because of the, um, the, uh, how great the Greek language was and is. Um, interestingly, Philadelphia was founded by colonists from Pergamos. So remember, Pergamos, we were there a couple weeks ago. That was the capital um, of the Roman Empire in the uh, Asian pro uh, providence. And so uh, it's founded by colonists from Pergamos um, to be a missionary city for the Greek culture and for the Greek language. So in 140 BC, um, leaders from Pergamos um, founded Philadelphia to be a missionary city to propagate Greek culture and Greek language. It's built strategically on the borders of three neighboring regions so that they could um, propagate the Greek culture. So how many know that if you have a Greek culture and, and, and the, the Greek empire, and then later on the Roman empire, you need to culturize um, those cities within your empire, those regions within your empire. So they, they needed to culturize those regions to look like, act like, talk like, and think like Rome. The Greeks did it first, and then the Romans did it. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but the, the word apostle is, it, it implies this. The word apostle is, is, is one who is sent 
and, and they're sent to culturize a new area, a new region. And so um, Jesus borrowed that term, apostle, um, when he was talking to his apostles. So, but then God takes that pagan use of Philadelphia, and he turns it on its head and uses the Greek language and cities like Philadelphia to be a doorway into the kingdom of God. How many know that when God redeems something, he'll, he'll still use that something? Like, if you're good at music and you don't know the Lord and you get saved, guess what? God, God will use that to glorify his name. If you're a business owner and you don't know the Lord and you come into his kingdom, guess what? Your business is coming with you into the kingdom, and God's going to use that thing. So whatever it is that God has gifted you in and uh, anoint, you know, anointed you with, when you get born again, when you get saved, he's going to use that for his advantage, for his glory. The title of our message today is An Open Door. Jesus said to this church, I have placed before you an open door. All right, let's break down the text. We're probably only going to end up studying about three of these verses because of time's sake. But when Jesus addresses each of these churches, the one other thing that they all have in common is this. He begins with a revelation of himself through which they would be able to face the circumstances that they were facing. I just want to say this, church, if whatever problem you're facing, God is the answer for it. God has the answer, but more importantly, he is the answer. He always begins by highlighting his sufficiency before he highlights the solution that they're going through. And I love that Jesus begins each... I love that Jesus didn't get into their problems right away. He didn't get it. This is how we start church, by the way. We don't come in and immediately start talking about all of our problems. We come in and just, we enter his gates with thanksgiving our hearts, enter his courts with praise, and we worship him, right? What are we doing? We're getting our eyes off of ourselves, and we're getting eyes on the prize. We're getting our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus does the same thing when he begins talking to these seven churches. He points to himself as their sufficiency, as the source. Um, Jesus also outlined this when, he, when the apostle says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Uh, Matthew uh, 6, he says this, Our Father which is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily, you know, uh, our daily, our, forgive us today our, well, give us today our daily bread, and then the debts and all that. So he gets into what they actually need later on, but what does he start with? Our Father who is in heaven. He starts off by saying, put your focus on me, because I am your all-sufficiency he highlights himself as the solution. We're going to break this down. Revelation 3, 7. To the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I want to highlight just in this verse four divine adjectives that Jesus uh, uses of himself to, des- to describe himself to this church. Number one, he says, I'm holy. What is holy? Holy is set apart, different than anything else. There's no person, no thing that compares to Jesus. He, he's saying, I am your all-sufficiency. I am your righteousness. I am your source. I hold your, your purpose and your destiny. Look to me. I am the author and the finisher of your faith. He is holy, set apart. How many of you here, you have, uh, I'm going to give an example of set apart. How many of you here, you have uh, fine china? Like like dining kit, yeah, okay. How many know that's not for everyday use? Those are for special occasions. You have your everyday use dishes, and then you have your fine china. It's for it's set apart for special use. Um, another another example would be this. Like I don't know if you there are any car guys here, car girls. You got your commuter car that you're commuting to work in, putting all the miles on. But some people have like 
their weekend car or their, their summer car, like, you know, Corvette or Mustang or something like that. It's pretty cool, right? It's set apart for special use. It's not, you're not going to drive it in the snow every day on your way to work. Jesus is set apart. He's totally other than, totally different than anything else. Number two, Jesus says, Jesus is true. Jesus is true. Now, this is more than just Jesus tells the truth. How many know that Jesus does tell the truth? Like, he doesn't lie, okay, because he's God. All right, there's no, there's no um, deception in him. He's not, he's not, he doesn't lie. But this says, what this actually means, if you look it up, is that Jesus is saying, I am the real deal. I'm authentic. I am genuine. He emphasizes the church in Philadelphia, listen, I'm not a phony. I'm not a counterfeit. I'm not like the other idols of Philadelphia, I'm not like the other idols. I think the word idol is a, is a funny word for a false god. Because if you think about it, what does an idol do? Nothing. It just sits there. It's idle, right? And Jesus is like, I'm not idle. I'm not like those other false gods. I am living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I move on your behalf. I, I hold your destiny in my hand. I'm working on your behalf. I'm working in your life. That's the God we serve. Jesus is the real deal. The real deal. <clears throat> Speaking of real deal, have any of you ever bought like a knockoff product before? You have. What'd you buy? A purse. What what type of purse? Yeah, it looked like the real deal, but it wasn't the real deal. Some people buy knockoffs, you know, because it they know they're buying it. And other times people like, I thought this was a Rolex, but it doesn't work, it doesn't keep time, it's not waterproof, right? Um, so sometimes Willingly or and knowingly and unknowingly, we, we buy knockoffs. Um, but here, let me give you a few examples. See, Jesus is not a counterfeit. Jesus is the real deal. Let me give a couple exam- examples of knockoffs. Go ahead and put up the first picture. Sunbucks coffee. <laughs> I don't know what country this is. Looks like somewhere in Asia, but um, that's a knockoff. Go to the next one. Dr. Bob. Anyone? Anyone got Dr. Bob in their fridge? I don't know. Go to the next one. Snippers. Snipers. Snipers. And hike. Hikey. Hikey. I don't know. Anyone got a pair of those in your closet? Okay, that's not the real deal. That's probably... Okay, the huge mountain. I think that's supposed to be the North Face logo. And then Dave instead of Dove. Those aren't the real deal. Go to the next one. Fool's gold versus real gold. How many of you have ever found something and you're like, I think this might be gold? And you're like, but it turns out to be fool's gold. It's much less likely that you're going to find real gold. I watched this, but how many know Jesus is the real deal? Um, I watched this video on um, a man who um, pans for gold a lot, and he'll have people bring um, what they think is gold, and they're like, is this real gold or is this fool's gold? And he says, when you pan for gold, obviously, I've never been panning for gold. Has anyone here ever been panning for gold? Wow, lots of you. I'm missing out, <laughs> apparently. So, um, but he says when you pan for gold, um, you, obviously you scoop up some of the sediments in, in the riverbed, and then you begin to you know, work it. And he says that real gold resists movement. And so the other sediments, like mica and fool's gold, will get kind of tossed around and, and get washed around by the water and gets washed out. But real gold, because, it's, because of its density, it's a very dense, uh, heavy metal, it, it resists movement. And, um, 
and that's how you know that it's, it, be, it sits in the bottom, and that's how you know it's real gold. Now, that's a word for someone right there. How many know that Jesus, the real deal, he resists movement? He is our rock. He is our anchor. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the real deal, and only he will satisfy your heart. Again, verse 7. He holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus holds the key of David. This speaks of Jesus being our faithful steward and God's faithful steward in all of his kingdom. This is a reference. It's the only. Uh, it's a reference to Isaiah 22, and Isaiah 22 is actually the only reference in the entire Bible to the keys of David. And Jesus says, "This is who I am." Let me explain what this is. In Re- Isaiah 22, uh, chapter 22, there was a man named Shebna. Everyone say Shebna. He was the palace administrator in Hezekiah's kingdom, um, in his palace and in his kingdom. He had the master key to all the doors and was a steward of, the, of resources in Hezekiah's kingdom. However, Shebna did something that God didn't like. Shebna used um, God's, the, the God's kingdom, his resources, to build himself a monument. He used the king's resources to um, cut out a, uh, a rich man's grave in the rock, to hewn out of the rock a rich man's grave so that Shebna can be remembered forever. Okay, God was not happy with Shebna using the king's resources and the kingdom's resources to make a name for himself. So um, God actually uh, replaced him with another. Okay, and so um, go ahead and put up. I have a picture of an example of a tomb. Um, this is not the the um, this is not where Shebna um, made his tomb. This is actually a location that's very close to Philadelphia. It's just south of Philadelphia. So. Um, this reference that Jesus is being here would have been very real to the, to the church of Philadelphia because they understood what graves, when you had a royal family, oftentimes they would make graves and they would be remembered forever. But this is what Shebna did with the king's resources, with the kingdom's resources, and God was not happy at that. Look at what the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah to Shebna was. It says this, Isaiah twenty two fifteen. This is what the, what the Lord, the Almighty says, Go and uh, go say to the steward, to Shebna, the palace administrator, what are you doing here? And who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here, hewning your grave on the height and chiseling it, uh, your resting place in the rock? Jump down to verse 20, says this. And that day I will summon my servant Elikim, son of uh, Hilkah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. Watch this. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. God said Elikim would be a faithful steward, not serving his own interests, but serving the interests of the people. And that's the kind of person that God wanted in service. How many know Jesus referencing this of himself? Jesus, of course, speaking to John, giving John this revelation. Jesus knows the rest of Scripture, of course. And he references this. How many know Jesus laid down his heavenly glory? Jesus sat in heaven in his majesty, his heavenly glory. Jesus relinquished his rights for a, for a temporary season as God. He never stopped being God. He always was, always will be God. Never stopped being God, but he temporarily laid down his rights, came to the earth, humbled himself in the appearance of a man to 
the, the creator entered creation and the, the king served us. The creator entered creation to serve his servants. Jesus is the faithful steward in all of God's house. And I just want to encourage you. You know, the Bible says, church, that he who is faithful with uh, little will be faithful with much. If God can entrust you and put resources in your hands and put influence in your hands and, and relationships in your hands, if you will steward those things for the glory of God and not for the glory of your own name, he will trust you with more. Amen. You want to be great in the kingdom? Go low. Amen. Be a servant of all. And I think about this, and this, this really hits home for me as a pastor. I mean, we're, we're, we're building and buying a new facility. We're going to be renovating that. And I just want, this is what I want for that facility. I want it to be a place where we minister to the Lord Jesus. I don't want it to be a place where Kurt's name is made great. That is so not the point. Or even the name City Lights. That's not the point of us moving into this facility. We want it to be a place to serve this community, be a doorway where people can come into the kingdom and where ministry is offered to the Lord. Amen? More than anything, for those of you who are kind of new here, like, worship's kind of long. This is really our premier value. We don't want to just come to church and be like, sing me a song, you know. It's kind of taking too long and whatever. No, like this is a full participation, full contact sport by all of us. You know, we are all ministers to the Lord. And before he meets our needs, what do we do? We come and serve him and meet his needs. And he is worthy of all of our praise, honor and glory. Amen. I walked into service today and I had to talk to talk with Russell, our sound guy, just for a second back there. And we were kind of talking and I could tell there was um, someone near us and I could tell they were they were worshiping and they were kind of distracted because we were talking. And I felt like, ooh, I'm stealing from Jesus. This person's trying to connect with the Lord Jesus and they're trying to receive from the Lord Jesus. Listen, he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of your praise. We don't want anything to get in the way of you offering what he is worthy of. Amen. Number four, Jesus says, what Jesus opens stays open, and what Jesus shuts stays shut. This speaks of the Lord's perfect leadership in our lives. Jesus' Jesus' leadership in your life is perfect. And the doors he opens for you, no one can take away. And the doors he shuts, no one can shut. How many know that's a good thing? You want God to shut doors that you shouldn't be walking through anymore. And you want God to open doors that you should be walking through. But let me say this, you still have to make that step to walk through those doors. Amen. Verse eight. So we just got done with one verse. Now on verse eight. It's going to take a while. No, we're, we won't go through all of it. Verse eight. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus pointing out the fact that they had little strength, this is not a rebuke. Rather, he is commending them for, in spite of their weakness, he's commending them for leaning on him for strength. How many know that when we are weak, he is strong? And I don't know about you, but I'm not always strong. I have weak moments. I have moments where I'm messed up, and I have to just come before him to get strength. Amen? This is, we're all in this boat. And he's he's not rebuking them for having little strength, because sometimes we have little strength. Sometimes we go through seasons where you just don't have a lot of strength, but he commends them. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. And so it's so encouraging to them. In spite of the persecution and the challenges, you have stayed faithful to me is what the Lord is saying. 
Again, Jesus says, I've opened to them an open door. Um, church, uh, the Lord has opened to city lights church an open door. Again, we're in the process of moving into a new facility. And I just want to talk to you about how we approach this opportunity and how you can apply this to your own lives. You know, um, we approach it like this, God, it looks like there's an open door here. It looks like there's an open door for us. Do you want us to walk through this door? Do you, we're holding it like this. Do you want us to walk through this door? And we felt the Lord say, yes. When this opportunity came about, I just want to say, just speaking of weakness, it felt bigger than me, and indeed it was, and indeed it still is bigger than me. I've never navigated buying a building, raising money, contractors, renovation, all that kind of stuff. When my wife and I stepped out to start City Lights Church, we, we were experienced as pastors. We love pastoring. We love worship. We love the word. Um, but there's some things we had to learn. And I, I say this often, but there's four things I had to learn when we started the church that I didn't have to learn before because we were just college pastors. Here's some things we learned. Boards, budgets, bylaws, boring. It's the four B's of starting a church. There's the fun stuff, and that was the not fun stuff. Boards, budgets, bylaws, all boring. Now I got two more B's I'm learning. Buildings and bureaucracy. So I got two more B's to my list that I'm learning. I didn't have experience for those many things and, and what we're doing now. You could call that little strength. I had little strength, but guess what? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen. You might not have all your duckies in a row, but if God's calling you to step through a door, listen, step through it. His grace is sufficient for you. If you lack something, get on your face and watch God provide. If you lack the knowledge, get on your face and watch God provide. If you're after the resources, the skills, the confidence, get on your face and watch God provide. Or if he doesn't give them to you directly, he might bring you people around you who do have the competency level, do have the skills, do have the knowledge to help the dream come to pass. I love that my, my, my bride, she mentioned uh, pastors Howard and Betty Skinner um, at, at, with the Amen Hammer at the close of worship here. And I was thinking about them, and um, Pastor Howard wrote a book. I forget what it's called, um, but it's a great book, and maybe we should have this in our bookstore someday. But he, they talked about their faith journeys. They had a lot of faith God stories. And when Pastor Howard um, started, started his first church, he built, he built the building um, with, his, with his bare hands. And he, he says in the book, I didn't know how to do it. And so he just stopped, and he asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do I do this? And the Lord showed him how to do it. And he had like legitimate builders come by later and be like, who did this? And he's like, I did. And they're like, this is perfect. And so what, what did God do? Wherever he was lacking, he just went before the Lord and said, God, help me. <laughs> and the Lord helped him. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. By the way, on that, on that note, we have an open door that we're stepping through, but God is also shutting a door behind us <laughs> because as soon as we announced uh, that City Lights Church was be new, moving into a new facility, another church in town caught wind of it and they're going to be moving in after we move out. So God's been faithful to the Adventure Church for hosting us and has a church to come in behind them, but we got to get out of here quick, okay? <laughs> He's opening a door and closing one at the same time, so pray that we don't run out of grace in the interim. All right. Let's see here. We're going to jump to verse 12. We're going to skip a couple of verses here, but you can go back and read it. Did you know you can study the Bible on your own? 
It's okay. You don't have to get everything from me. Verse 12, Jesus says this, To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I want to talk to you why this was so profound for the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was on the edge of a great plain called the Burnt Land. That was because they, the, the city was on the edge of a volcanic plain. The positive part of that was that the, the uh, soil was rich and fertile. Philadelphia's uh, grape, uh, grapes um, were world-renowned, and they made and exported wines um, all over the world. The downside of being in an active volcano region was that powerful earthquakes uh, were prevalent in Philadelphia. In the year uh, 17 AD, an earthquake destroyed Philadelphia and some of the surrounding cities. But for years, tremors continued, and almost daily, um, tremors continued destroying, uh, continued destroying the city. So what a lot of people did is they moved their belongings, their, their family and their belongings, outside of the city into temporary huts. Those who stayed behind in their homes, many of them, um, their homes continued to collapse and fall on them. So this was a season that Philadelphia went through where they were, they were scared to stay in their homes. And Jesus says to, this, to them, the one who's victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of God. In other words, you're going to be unmovable. Never again will they have to leave it. Never again will you have to run for fear. I just love how the Lord, um, his message to each of these churches is so personal, so catered just for them. Let's see, verse, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's conclude with this, verse 12. He says this, I will write on them. The new name. These are the ones who are victorious. I will write on them the new name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. There's a lot of writing there. This Jesus highlights the threefold mark that God places over his followers. Number one, Jesus says, I'll write... Um, God's name will uh, will be written on you. Number two, the new Jerusalem will be written on you. Number three, my name will be written on you. Jesus seals us, you and me, with his very name. It signifies ownership. Did you know when you gave your life to Jesus, I I hope you didn't come like, I'll take this free gift of salvation, sure. Well, it is a free gift. We don't earn it or deserve it, but how many know we are surrendering our lives to him? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. In fact, I've talked with people who... Um, have struggled with thoughts of self-harm and stuff like that, and they've talked about suicide. I'm like, um, you're Christian? Yes. I'm like, you, you can't kill yourself. Why? Because you don't belong to you. You gave your life away. You don't belong to yourself anymore, so you can't take your life. We belong to the Lord Jesus. I want to show you three verses in the Bible that talk about how we are marked by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Revelation 14.1 says this, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. These uh, Jewish um, uh, evangelists during the Great Tribulation, 144,000 in Jerusalem, um, the Bible says that the father's name and Jesus' name was written on their foreheads. Probably not literally, but what, what does that mean? They're marked by the father. They're marked by the son. Again, Revelation 22.3, Jesus says this. This is towards, very towards the end of the book. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him there. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This speaks of 
ownership and friendship and fellowship with the Lord. Last verse, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You and I are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The word seal here means it signifies ownership and the full security carried by the backing of the owner. Amen. We're sealed. It signifies ownership, but there's all, we're also sealed, um, and, it, uh, and it gives us security, the full backing and security of the owner. Sealing in the ancient world served as a legal signature that guaranteed the promise of what was sealed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, the promise of the guarantee of the rest of the inheritance that is to come. How many know that we have an eternal inheritance? Eternal inheritance in the Lord in heaven. And God says, it's like an engagement ring. I'm going to give you a deposit, the, the down payment, the guarantee of what is yet to come. We are sealed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. We spend a lot of time, Christians, uh, in the book of Revelation, like wondering, you know, there's another mark that the book of Revelation talks about, which is the mark of the beast. And us Christians, we spend a lot of time like, what is the mark? Is this the mark? Is that the mark? And I think the mark of the beast is a very real thing. But we spend a lot of time focusing on that and not enough time focusing on the fact that you and I are marked by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we realize we are marked and that he owns us, how many know he's going to be faithful to keep us from any other mark that could get upon us? Why don't you stand to your feet? Amen. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for every believer in this house that is sealed by the Father, by the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the open doors in our lives, Lord. Would you help us to walk through those doors when you open those doors to us? Lord, would you help us to see you as faithful, the faithful steward of God's kingdom, the faithful steward of our hearts? Lord, we love you today. I just release this over, these, um, over your children. We love you in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.